Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Nearly a full squad on the pod today. Shout out to Jackson who couldn't be here for this one. But joining us as he often does, our New Zealand correspondent, Joe, aka No Scrooge McFly. Joe, what's up? Mate, oh, it's uh well we just got rain here for the first time this summer, so that's uh positive news actually. That's great. And the Celtics uh, win. So I'm looking out I'm looking out at a, a damp very damp ground, which makes everyone quite happy. We've also got the content king himself, Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? Welcome back. I'm doing good, man. Riding high off the least impressive 33-point win I've ever seen. So it's a good day. <laughs> good day. Uh, it's a great day for Celtics fans. And finally, very happy to welcome back from a brief hiatus, which may have involved a possible kidnapping. I'm not sure. Celtics J, welcome back, sir. How have you been? I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Tight lip. <laughs> All right. Well, we can we can unpack that as we as we go along. But for now, the Celtics they take down the Magic as they should. Really, one sixteen to eighty three. Great game for the old net rating. Joe, you can be our first cab off the rank here. What was the story of this game, so to speak? Like, how did the Celtics get this one done? Um, I'm I'm tempted to like I've, I've been thinking about how I want to approach analysis for this you know little period and. Um, I just want to enjoy it for what it was. So what I'm going to say is that uh, we were a significant, we are a significantly better team than than the Magic, and as a result, we won by a significant margin. <laughs> How's that for? Take that for data. You know, I just say when you stack these two teams up next to each other, you got one that's better than the other. That's what we saw today. So, well, <laughs> no. First of all, no. First of all, when you kicked it to Joe, what the hell was that expression? Cab in the what? Cab off the Kevin rank. Cab yeah, so the, okay. I've not heard. Is that we? We may have a new culture <laughs> shock uh, segment cooking here. Oh, yeah, so a little cab, as in a taxi, a cab, and then usually they're parked in a, a cab rank. You know, like a taxi yes. lineup. And the sure. first cab yes. off the rank would be the first one to depart. So, offering so that Joe like the, the first foray cab? into the conversation. <laughs> the cleanest cab. No, you normally grab a taxi. The first one there is what you take, right? Yeah, there's so, like an yeah, etiquette right. at, the, at the cab rank. You've got to go up to, up to the front. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> Understood. Okay. Yeah. That, I, I thought that, that expression <laughs> would have been universal, to be honest. Yeah, nope. I thought. <laughs> okay, uh, now that you've enlightened me and I'm a much better person after having that additional knowledge, I would say <laughs> the defense was absolutely insane, basically. I mean, Orlando's an awful offensive team that can't shoot. And then when you got a team playing defense like the Celtics are right now, it's going to lead to probably a blowout win, even though we couldn't shoot. We got a good Schroeder game. That always helps when Tatum's not really shooting well. Thought the ball moved, like how much pace Marcus Smart was playing, and he's been playing with that type of pace for a while now. And, yeah, I mean, I honestly think Joe really did hit it on the head. They're just really a bad team, and they looked like it. And, you know, our defense, you know, we ride the defense to another win. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for. We've wrapped the whole the whole thing up in uh, in one tiny little gift package there. Jay, I mean, dare I ask, is there anything in addition to what Joe and Spoonie have said? Is there anything else to add to this? Well, I think like the one thing that we haven't maybe totally touched on yet is that when we look at this game from the way that it opened up to the way that it finished, there was one team that ultimately ended up scoring more points than the other. And this time it was the Celtics. Do you guys feel like Tatum kind of struggles with the magic for so I don't know. I feel like he has not had a good game against them this year. I didn't look back on the first game, but he didn't play in the second game where we had that crazy comeback. But it just seems like if you can't make a three, they play, basically played zone all night, right? Mm-hmm. And they just threw Mo Bamba at the rim. And Tatum just, I mean, he was not, he did not go to the rim very strong on Bamba. Mm-hmm. I do think he was passing great. Um, but it's kind Jim of took care of it. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and Schroeder <laughs> just in time to raise his trade value. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of impressive. We couldn't make a shot and we still won by that much going against the zone. You kind of think, you know, you shoot a team out of a zone and we were totally incapable of doing that. I almost don't even like know how we scored so many points. Mm. It's I don't know. It's just a really like weird game, and there's like no crowd noise in Orlando. It was just Peyton kind of a Pritchard is dunking one. on the break, <laughs> right? Yeah, all yeah. sorts of weird shits happening. Yeah, well, there you go. So there there are some things to to glean from this game. It was a peculiar outing for the Celtics, and yeah, I mean, you're right, Joe, in that it would be really difficult to to fuck up and lose against this actively tanking Magic team, and yet. It is another decisive win for the Celtics, right? That's not just happened in a vacuum now. We're seeing these huge blowout victories over, admittedly, you know, subpar teams, but that's not something that we've always been able to say about the Celtics in this season and recent seasons past. So uh, I do think there are some details to to attack here. And, and for me, this game encapsulated like both of the successes and the failures of our season so far. The magic, they were packing the paint and allowing a bunch of three-point attempts, and we were just missing them all, even though they were essentially wide open. But because the defense was able to create a bunch of stops and the improved ball movement on our offense and how the Celtics' newfound ability to attack zone defenses sort of comes into play as well, we were able to to win a game like that essentially easily, whereas half a season ago, you know, it's it's probably a triple overtime game, as we saw early on, or or eventually a loss. So... Yes, it's a t- it's a game against the faltering magic, but I think it's indicative of all the improvements that we've made throughout the season so far. So we did what we were supposed to do against a team like the Magic. Exactly, which again we've not always been able to say. Yep. So an, an impressive win. Right. No, that, it feels feels pretty good to be able to be like, oh, you know, we beat the Magic. Yeah, we I'd could- say one thing that probably 
it's it's sort of the dog that did not bark for me is that I'm like I'm trying to remember a sequence in which we didn't clean up a defensive rebound where it really felt like we were supposed to, you know, because often that sort of feels like when the wheels are starting to come off, it starts with that. Like we just don't clean up a miss that we're supposed to clean up. The other the other team hits a three, as people often do off an offensive rebound, and then we're like, oh, here we go again. We yep. just didn't have that kind of moment to sort of emotionally like impale us. <laughs> so that was helpful. I'm just checking the box score to see if I'm actually right about that, see how many offensive rebounds they had. <laughs> Didn't seem like they had a lot. They had eight. We had 16. So there you go. Well, and not to go on too much of a tangent, but a lot of the way that Rob has been impacting the game has been with his offensive rebounding, which I think we've seen on the other side of that, how devastating that can be, especially to a defense that's trying to be committed and trying to be locked in. When Rob's going out there and punching the ball back out and we're the ones that are you know benefiting from those offensive uh opportunities as opposed to always be on the other side of it i think it's just setting us up to be more effective on the defensive end and get those rebounds and be better positioned and just you know like you probably end up getting in one of those arguments about you know which comes first chicken or the egg type deal i I don't know if that's an expression that's as universal as cab positioning or what have it but (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i think that's plus eight in possessions right like that's huge that's the equivalent of eight steals Plus, oh, three plus, three. plus three on turnovers as well. So plus yes. 11 positions, yeah. So we had 11 more possessions than them. So even though we shot terribly, I mean, you don't even need to shoot that well when you're winning the possession battle that crazily. Yeah, yeah. really impressive games from Horford and Grant Williams in, in that vein, in that, you know, the, the, the shots that they were the team was succeeding on, I think we had something like 54 or 59 points in the paint, and you saw multiple times... Al Horford and Grant Williams bodying up and just getting these old school, like roughhousing buckets, um, which isn't something that we normally go to, but it was just something that was allowed to us by the the shoddy magic defense. Um, Horford, 13, 11, and 5. Grant with an efficient 12 points and some solid defense. Really good to see as Ime, I guess, builds out this, uh, what's looking like an eight-man rotation going into the trade deadline. Spoons, I've got a question for you, though. Do you still want to go away from this starting double big lineup, given all the great stats and everything that are coming out um, about our starting lineup since basically the beginning of the year? Uh, The starting lineup's doing well. It's doing great. It's a great lineup. I would posit that just about anybody with those four guys, kind of the core four, is going to be a really damn good lineup. And I still believe... Grant Williams with the core four has an even better net rating than Horford out there with them. Hmm. And the, but that said, the big thing I hated about starting Horford was Udoka was not subbing him out early enough. So we were left with like six to 10 Enos Cantor minutes a night. And that was like the huge problem, I thought. So now it seems like he's taking Horford and Tatum out early and we're getting basically. Rob and Horford swapping at center with a little bit of double big sprinkled in. I'm totally fine with that. I'm not nearly up in arms about it as I was maybe in December. So, and you can't really knock the results, man. They played like 300 minutes together and like the third or fourth best lineup in the NBA. So, I still think Grant would be a better option in the starting lineup, but I don't think it's to the point anymore where I really care that much because that lineup is absolutely shutting people down man like you cannot score on that lineup 
Grant and Al at this point like have pretty substitutable skill sets. I feel, and um, and Grant, man, he's pretty switchproof now. Like Spoons, shout out Spoons' tweet, but like you just, you he just moves his feet really well. I feel like he's always given a really good effort, but man, he's just swallowing guards up right now. Um, he's not getting beaten off the dribble at all, and um, that just you know it means that he. He's a very effective substitute for Horford, and he's obviously a better shooter at this point. I'd still prefer Horford. I still prefer Horford. Horford is a bit bigger, I, th- I think. Um, I think it. I think you can have a better defense with Horford, and if that's our identity, maybe that sort of plays into that a little bit. Like if we're a win ugly team, which I think we we need to be, um, maybe that's the argument for keeping Horford in there for sort of setting that tone. But um, yeah, I, you still I, think we're a win ugly team the way we're looking now, though. Like with this ball movement, <laughs> I, I would call today's game an ugly game. Though it was pretty brutal yeah. at stretches. Look at the three point shooting percentages alone. Yeah, but when it's just the shots not going in, that's one thing. I mean, we saw what happens when the team plays with cohesion and moving the ball. Shots don't fall, but they're still blowing out the magic and doing what they're supposed to do. Whereas prior in the year, they're not moving the ball. They're playing the stagnant, you know, ISO offense. So when the shots don't fall. They got no other way of really having an attack. I just think we're seeing more of that balance now. I, when these guys are clicking like this, I mean, right, they they have an off-shooting night. Um, you get good shooting nights from a couple of the role players to, to you know, make up the difference. Um, but we've seen a couple of games where when they are clicking and those shots are falling, I mean, good luck. <laughs> There's definitely a point there, Jay, like where we're smart in and the tempo's up and we're forcing turnovers. It's a lot more fun to watch. Um, fast break, man, fast break points cover quite a lot of ills, eh? Um, they are the most fun things in basketball normally. And like, I, I'm just going off the top of my head. I think we would have had more fast break points recently than, than we've had. Um, I mean, this is just me <laughs> totally making things up. It feels like, it feels like we're getting fast breaks a lot more frequently. That helps. That helps a lot. I can't stand the aesthetics of Schroeder's game. I like, I just... It's. I just hate the guy. It's so unfair. He's probably really fun in real life, but I just can't stand him. And to me, like every time he's initiating the offense, it's pretty ugly. <laughs> um, and you've noticed that now that they've started running and like actually moving the the offense with some some haste, Schroeder is no longer happy. <laughs> right, right. It's so. It's just so against type for him, eh? He um. Yeah. He just like uh, he just can't help himself. He just. Ha- he did this thing, I want to say it was towards the end of the third quarter tonight, where he like he rolled he walked the dog, right? Yay, saving time, yeah. right? And he picks it up and like stands there for like four seconds before starting to dribble. <laughs> What's the point, man? <laughs> yeah. Look, all this coaching staff that we have on the team, all the, the great minds around the Celtics, not one person has had a conversation with Trudor to be like, dude, what's going on with the dog walking? Like most of the time, we're trying to run down the clock and get to the final buzzer sooner rather than later so we can all go home or get on the plane or whatever it is. What the fuck are you doing? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. The <laughs> Flinch at a free throw like Horford. Come on, get it together, guy. <laughs> yeah, be normal. Um, I, do, you remember, do you remember who John Nidenagle was? I feel like I'd remember that name. No. no. <laughs> he was otherwise known as the Brain Doctor. And oh, would, yes. Yes. I would suggest that Dennis Schroeder and Russell yes. Westbrook, <laughs> I, I'd suggest that they've got the same makeup. Like, I just 
cannot imagine either of them changing much for anybody. <laughs> I imagine them being that, pretty young. That was like Ainge's first guru that he brought in when right. he when he took the reins. He brought in the big brain doctor and started and trying to find like <laughs> Scale yep. was apparently one of the one of the things that the brain doctor pushed for. <laughs> yeah, he was real high on the list. Well, look, once we trade him, we can buy him a, a copy of Nine Eagle's latest book and uh, give him some reading material for the the plane ride to uh, to Indiana. Hopefully, answer me this question: What's the play of the game? Jalen Brown's dunk or Peyton Pritchard's? Dunk? Oh yeah, Grant's post up. Celtics Jay shaking his head. Now he's nodding his head. <laughs> best best play of this game. Best play of this game. Was it was towards the end? It was Tatum actually throwing it into the post to Rob for a dunk. Um, I, I'm that's a I, nice I, read. Yeah, and so it was like it was the read. It was the it was the just intention behind it all. It was just like he owned every moment of that play. Like everything happened exactly how you could tell it was in his head. Let's see what the people of Celtics for Reddit have to say on this one. Hopefully, a little bit a little bit more than what I have had to say so far. User Fbreaker <laughs> wrote, I'm so excited about Robert Williams' newfound longevity. So in 2018-19, he played 283 total minutes. The following year, wow. 388 total minutes. 2020-2021, 985 minutes played. And this season, 1,280 minutes played and counting. Granted, this user goes on to say, he's still not the most durable player, but he's only 24 and his growth has been amazing. Imagine what he's going to be like in his prime, um, which is great. And following up on that, User Iverson wrote, What I like most is that the Jays haven't had to be dominant uh, the entirety of this win streak. Last season, and for portions of this season, if Tatum didn't drop 30, we were in trouble. They've been looking like a real team with a real, dare I say, identity. Which I think is true. We've actually got contributions coming from elsewhere, even off the bench with Josh Richardson, who was 0 of 8 today, but I think a plus 24 in the game. We are starting to see contributions coming from other guys on the team, allowing the Jays to take more of a backseat at times and, you know, just kind of play their game as it comes to them rather than forcing things, which as we see with Tatum in particular, can be troublesome. I'm going to throw it back out to you guys one more time before we move on. Do you have anything else that you want to add from this magic game or, you know, really the last week or so of Celtics basketball before we get to some uh, more Reddit stuff? Do any of you guys just feel like, and maybe I'm just like damaged, the other shoe's going to drop here and we're going to like lose five in a row or something? It feels yeah. like you're dating, like you're dating somebody, and you're like, "No, mom, I swear, she's sober now." You know, like it'll be fine <laughs> this time. She'll stay sober, and it'll all work out. Like I don't know. It just feels like this is too good to be true right now, and I've been hurt before, so I'm trying to like protect my emotions. Are strangely specific. Yeah, yeah. You did move to West Virginia, so I take it it all worked out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, this is not speaking from experience at all, guys, all right? I'm just trying to enjoy it for what it is. It's great watching them just crush teams. And um, for me, it's not yet indicative of a true contender. Um, if they do this for 20 straight games, sure. But we're still a 30 and 25 team. Like, um, we're probably going to be a low 40s, low to mid 40s win team. Um, that's cool. We'll enjoy our first, you know, well, that's enough to enjoy the season, you know, but um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pin my hopes on, on this team yet. I yeah. am. All my hopes are pinned. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do it. I like a couple of the articles that have come out recently too, though, that have talked about some comments coming out specifically from different players on the team. Just noting, hey, not for nothing, everybody, but like, 
there is some time necessary for team chemistry to get built up and for you know th- this new system to kind of gel like we were talking about this at the beginning of the year this is going to be a process like that it's very likely this wasn't going to click and magically just be excellent right away and as much as some of the experiences we've had have been like drawing us into past traumas with this team over the the last few seasons this is not the same team that it was last year and it's not the same team that it was two seasons ago most of us aren't the same people we were two weeks ago let alone a full season ago you know what i mean like i just think it's been really a joy to watch the team go through all of the things they're having to go through and i mean i just i guess for my own benefit or or for my own sake i i don't attach my emotions to the team's success in the same way like i i can appreciate when we are not playing as well as i'd like them to play so anyway, that's me going on a whole bunch of tangents, but I just, I love all of it. I believe in it all. We're going to win the championship. <laughs> I, I think actually, like just the slightly serious point, I think sometimes a lot of the comments and, you know, in Reddit and, and on Twitter and whatever, I like people criticizing everyone else's a basic approach to being a fan. And um, I think it's fine. Like, like I want Jay to enjoy his fandom. You know, and if if that's the approach he takes to enjoy his fandom, f- cool, man. Like, enjoy it. Do you? You know, like, yeah. I think there's something to be said for just um, leaving people be a little bit with their where where they are emotionally with the team. You know, it's not unreasonable. I don't think he's naive. He's just that's how he's choosing to enjoy this this team and process the narratives that he's getting presented with. Yeah, likewise, I, uh... me, right? Like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's a full spectrum really to to fandom, and Twitter is not a welcoming place for the majority of that spectrum. I would say, <laughs> especially um, if you're a Neesmith fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about that? For or a, a born again Marcus Smart apologizer? <laughs> uh, well, look, we are going to get to Marcus Smart in in just a few moments, but me oh, and Spoonie talked about Neesmith just randomly on the pod a couple of weeks ago, and me trying to be creative and a, and a content producer I thought oh, i'll clip that together add some random clips of aaron neesmith and put it online tweet it out we should give aaron neesmith more playing time with the general <laughs> argument being that with more playing time would come more confidence and with more confidence would come more efficient shot making the, the basic thesis and, and I'll-, I'll add sorry ben not Please. to cut you off no, but no, i'm ahead. about to uh <laughs> i'll add that when we talked about that and recorded that pod, we were like three games under 500. It was like the nadir of the season. So our point was like, we suck. We might as well see what these young guys have. And the one time Neesmith got actual run, he looked pretty good. At this point, what have we got to lose? Mm. And then you release it when we're finally we're on this like unreal hot streak, and people are like, "You idiots, yeah. we're winning games!" <laughs> but like the vitriol is, I caught me off guard. I've not been on Twitter that long, and man, yeah, I got in the mud, baby. I was slinging it back. Yeah, yeah, we were in the trenches throwing grenades <laughs> over over the gap. Damn right, <laughs> trying to get some frags. Yeah, no, uh, I, I made me realize I'm not as strong as I, I thought I was as far as accepting criticism online. It was really like some of it was quite. <laughs> right. Personal. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway. One guy called me mentally challenged. Yeah. I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad we exercised those demons. Hey, great feedback. Great feedback. I think we need like a, like a feedback line, and we just, we just group oh, together God. all the negative feedback from people who just don't get it. You know, yeah. let's just let's, yeah. let's don't get our brilliance. Yeah, that's right. Can this, can this just evolve into being our version of like the wiener line? 
<laughs> What's the wiener line? It sounds like something. Oh I'll my god! Is it similar to the cab rank? Spoons, are you with me on this one? You know what I'm talking about? Is it like the, uh, the Oscar Mayer wiener line? Or no, something? no, no, no. This is I, I might be getting the pronunciation wrong because I got bad enunciation skills. But but no, the the bit there's a a sports broadcaster. I think it was the Big O or some shit like that on uh, the Boston. The sports. Big O and the wiener line. Yeah, yeah. They had this thing at the end of every show. Listen, listen, folks. Y'all in the sub, help help a guy out right now. Don't like, just let them know. I'm not making shit up. They had it. They had a bit though at the end of each of their shows where they just have like a a catalog of like calls that had come in with like commentary on what they were doing, talking junk or whatever it might be. And it was like it was a fun little funny bit that they do on the show. So I was bringing it up because it resonated with what you were talking about. But no, let's just keep throwing shade at me over it. <laughs> I just don't know what it is. Yeah, the Celtics Reddit podcast wiener line might not do well on the internet. Um, <laughs> I think that's exactly what'll do well on the internet. <laughs> well, this is uh, why you're getting roasted on Twitter, man. Come on. Yeah, I'm honestly behind the times. Let's end this segment with this from StatMuse, who said, The Celtics in 2022, first in net rating, first in defensive rating, first in opponent effective field goal percentage, the 13-6 record, Tatum averaging 26-8-5, Brown averaging 25-7-4, Sirs, January slash early February, great time to be a Celtics fan. We're going to move on now to the Reddit recap, and we're going to start with our very own, the content king, Wayne Spoony, with a great write-up titled The Museum of Modern Smart, The Subtle Brilliance of Marcus Smart, Part 1. And Spoons, like this obviously focuses on, the Part 1 focuses on the defensive impact of, of Marcus Smart. It's a very uh, long, satisfyingly long post, which isn't something I hear very often in my life. And I definitely recommend <laughs> reading it. <laughs> um, Spoons, can you give us like just, the, I guess, the TLDR? For anyone who hasn't read it yet, I, th- I think long story short, smart stats <laughs> never have, and I probably never will jump off the page. At least traditional metrics, but his on-offs for every stat are incredible this season, especially. So I just wanted to find some plays that evidence, like here's the types of small things that you know I don't notice them when I'm just watching the game normally. Not that you maybe probably don't even notice until you like step back and say, I'm just going to watch Marcus Smart for 20 possessions straight and see all the stuff he's doing off ball on defense and ball moving and connecting on offense. So I just wanted to convey how valuable he is, despite the fact that his traditional counting stats are not high enough for him to ever make an all-star game. I mean, trying to think of a, of a way to understand the impact that Smart has on the game, because as fans, like we're all we're all paid up members of the build around Marcus Smart Society here, are we not? Absolutely. We are, right? So, so, so we we see it, but um, I'm trying to think of this concept of like like applying like opportunity cost, a sort of an opportunity cost analysis to um, to Marcus Smart, because it seems to me that a lot of the stuff he gets. Criticized one, definitely not all. It's like smart took the smart takes too many threes. What was the opportunity cost of him taking that three? Right? What 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 was the next thing in the chain of events that were that you know what did it cost us for doing that? And I just I sort of feel like he doesn't he doesn't in general take 
there's, there's definitely exceptions. There's some notable exceptions where he does take shots that cost the team. But every player does that, right? Um, but I generally feel like offensively, he makes the best read available, you know? And the best read still might be him shooting a three at a, you know, at a 33% clip. That still might be the best play there. Um, best available play. Maybe that's a, that's a bit like, I don't know. That's, I feel like that's a coaching concept, right? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I sort of feel like people analyzing smart on, on a, they analyze it in a vacuum and it's in, in that wider context of, he did something that might look poor on a on a you know on a normal statistical metric that actually still contributes to winning. If you take a shot right that has a thirty three percent chance of going in and you're wide open, your feet set, and there's you know three seconds on the shot clock, right? Like that's still a good shot. That's it's it's the best available shot, and and I sort of feel like that's I don't know. I'm, I'm going once again. I'm making this up as I go, but no, I feel no. like that's kind of missing the conversation. I- no, I completely yeah. agree with you, particularly with he takes shots that don't cost the team much, but I don't think that's always been the case. It definitely hasn't no, always and, been and the case. he'll still fire up bad shots. Like, he'll still fire up objectively bad shots, no doubt about it. Joe, to your point, I, there's actually a play I'm going to use for the offense section. He, like, sets up the offense, makes a hard cut, ends up in the corner, gets the ball, pump, drive, throws a nice dump-off pass to Horford, who just like isn't ready for it and it goes out of bounds and it's a turnover on smart, Mm. but it's not hit. You know, the stat would be that's a bad play by Marcus smart, but it's actually an awesome play from basically the start of the shot clock to the very end. Horford should have had an easy layup. He just, you know, he was kind of in position. He just kind of missed the ball. So I think that's the type of thing you're getting at with he's making the right read, even if the outcome isn't perfect, and that's how you keep the sustained su- success over an entire season. Another play that look like, like I don't want to put this fully into the it, it's it's along your line along the lines. I want to say we're sort of starting to make a run. It's on a fast break. He over penetrated, but he over penetrated in anticipation of somebody being in the strong side corner, and he sort of threw it. It just went wildly out of bounds. It was my bad, my bad, my bad. But to be honest, like. That's almost like like it, and it's part at least like fifty percent on him. But somebody should have actually been in that corner, you know. And like that's another example of I, I just sort of feel like his basketball brain operates at a way higher level than the average player, and that's why he makes some amazing reads on help defense. It's why he, he throws a lot of lobs. I feel to where Rob should be. I've seen I've seen Rob miss a couple uh, where he, like he just wasn't there for whatever reason, and you can't. Look, it's a bad result when you have a turnover. But actually, another thing, this would be, sorry, I wonder how many of Smart's turnovers result in dead ball turnovers as opposed to live ball turnovers. Because Schroeder generates a hell of a lot of live ball turnovers. Like he threw this awful entry pass to Tatum at the elbow tonight, you know? Whereas Smart, like a live ball turnover is so much worse than a dead ball one. I wish there was a stat for that. Someone can someone in the in the community help us find that? I'd love to have my priors <laughs> my priors validated there. <laughs> yeah, please, folks, help us out. Um, tell me if I'm completely insane in asking this question because it has popped into my mind during this recent stretch of of smart play. Is it still okay to trade hypothetically Marcus Smart in a in a package for Bradley Beal, or would we need? 
a smart archetype more than a Beal archetype with this current makeup of the team? Or am I just so high on smart that I've completely lost my mind? I don't know, man. I can take it. <laughs> Beal's starting to scare me. Right? Beal's starting to scare me a little bit. His shooting is just, like, not there. He's going to want the super max. And... I don't know. He's had it. He he's been banged up in his career. I think he had like knee issues for a little while there. I I don't know, man. I it would depend on the package, but I would not want to include Smart. I mean, him and Beal in the backcourt would be the ideal, really. I mean, those two would be awesome together. So I don't then, know. Then you're looking at moving Rob, and then you've kind of got to almost at this point ask the same question. Yeah, Jay, you're, you're quiet over there. You got anything yeah. you want to add to that? I mean, I feel like everyone kind of knows where I stand on the. So here's the thing: I have not heard of a team that's not interested in having Smart included in a package that results with him ending up on their team. Like he is not the player you trade away to become a contender. He's the player you trade for to become a contender. Like he's he's a better version of of PJ Tucker. Like what are we talking about? Yeah, and to be yeah, clear, I'm not talking about. Trading spot. I'm talking about not trading spot. Yeah. Even for Bradley Beal, yeah, no, is where I'm at. So. I, yeah, I and I wouldn't have traded him for Bradley Beal in the off season two weeks ago, two months ago. Amazing but I'm also foresight. I'm not I'm not a Beal I'm not a Beal I'm not a Beal enthusiast like that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, look on this this great post by Spoons. Uh, if you haven't read it, pause this podcast, go and read it. It's a, it's essential reading for any Celtics fan, particularly any Celtics redditor. User Tice159, moderator of the Celtics sub, said on the post, I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it yet as I'm on a date night and she's in the toilet. But I'll say (laughs) this post was heavily requested by Celtics J and I know it. But we're not going to shed light on that that conspiracy. This is going to remain a mystery. Let's move on, shall we? This is a post on the sub by user Celtin4 who asks, where is Mike Gorman the past few nights? And I, I believe the answer was just like, I don't know, he doesn't like traveling with the team or uh, he's sick or he's taken leave for whatever reason. But the question I wanted like to Heinz, ask you the guys... The situation, yeah. Yeah, the, the question I think this prompts is, I mean, it's, this is tough because we love Mike Gorman, right, as longtime Celtics fans. But, Joe, is it time for Mike Gorman to hang up the boots? Is it time for him to hand the reins over to Grande? Grandy? Grande? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, he's mixing up players a lot. Hey, you know, he's, uh, he's, I mean, does it really matter though how accurate your play-by-play guy is? It's sort of, it doesn't really, right? Um, you want them to be funny, hopefully have some, have some sort of insight on the team. Um, so I'm okay with him continuing as long as he wants to continue. Like it's, part of uh he's sort of part of the history of the of of the team right and i'm i don't feel any rush to to get rid of a piece of sort of living history i love grandy i think he's a completely worthy successor to mike i'm excited i think he brings kind of a new enthusiasm to the play-by-play call but that said mike has every right to hang him up when he feels it necessary i still enjoy him um, it's almost like you don't want to see him like actively losing it over television. I don't think we're at that point yet, but I hope they don't hang him out there to the point where it's like kind of sad. You know what I mean? 
which again, we are definitely not at that point yet. Mm-hmm. I still love Mike. He's definitely lost a step though. And whenever uh, Grandy takes over, I will be just as excited to listen to Grandy as I have been for Gorman the last 34 years. I'm a big Sean Grandy fan too. Um, I mean, that, that guy calls a game about as good as I've ever been able to hear anyone call a game in my life. Um, you know, and he's, and he's had to do it in a, in an environment where it's like a little bit more, I mean, I'm not trying to be like undermine, uh, Mike or Tommy and, and their careers, but you know, he's been doing the radio. And so like his ability to really like capture and, and help the audience visualize what's happening on the court. Like the man is poetic. I remember his call, uh, during the championship is still one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Um, you know, the, the, what was it? The mission, the mission statement is mission accomplished. Like the man is, is on another level. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. I'm saying like to this day, like, like I'm saying it and it's still having an effect. Like it's tough. I think, I think I agree with everyone where it's sort of like, it's a bittersweet thing. Cause I think with all the enthusiasm we'd have for someone like Randy, there's, you know, the, the downside of realizing it's, it's letting go of someone that I think has been very easy to cherish for all of our lives as Celtics fans. I don't know another voice for, for Celtics basketball. Yeah, it's mm. cool that there's a rightful successor and we don't really need to worry about it. And we know either way we're in good hands, whether it, you know, it's Gorman for another couple of years or we go to, to Grandy you know, tomorrow. User Forzarine on the sub on this post wrote, Grandy is knowledgeable, but he editorializes a bit much for my tastes. Um, Scowl is no Tommy. So a, a rare, I guess... Uh, negative thought about granny there who's you know otherwise pretty universally loved user mclovin d27 posted to the sub was a tweet from i think nba central there are two offers on the table for dennis schroeder according to multiple sources one from the milwaukee bucks and another from the chicago bulls and user robbie f21 commented on that post i'm sure it'd be something like that troy brown plus second round pick rumor or something relatively minor but i'm definitely going to dream that we pull off a kobe white swap with the bulls Spoons, any thoughts on that? I know you had some trades in mind for the, for the Bulls and the Bucks there. I got three trades to bounce off you guys. Whoa. I thought it was four, but spicy. I miscounted. So <laughs> <laughs> they're very not spicy. So I'll be the judge uh, Troy Brown Jr. Yeah, Troy <laughs> Brown Jr. in a second is kind of our baseline. It sounds cool. like that's been offered and we're waiting to see what happens. I like Troy Brown. Well, you know, he's fine. Super young, 6'6", shooting 33% from three. Got some potential. Um, I would I would propose instead of a second, we add PJ Dozier to the deal and take back Matt Thomas. He's a good size shooting guard, shooting forty one percent from three. He can handle ten minutes a game, knock down a bunch of threes, like basically what we hope Sam Hauser can do. Mm-hmm. That's probably the lowest value for Schroeder other than Troy Brown Jr. in a second. Okay, moving up. Thoughts on George Hill and Jordan Nawara for Dennis Schroeder and probably a second-round pick with Milwaukee. Hill, two years left. He's only shooting 32% from three, but he solves the all-we-have-is-Peyton-Pritchard as a point guard yeah. after Schroeder's gone. He's not really been playing very well in Milwaukee. You'd think Schroeder's going to take his minutes, so they might as well get off his contract. Nawara... Young, six foot eight power forward, shooting thirty seven percent from three, thirty nine percent for his career. I think that kind of low risk, high reward guy we could we could try and snag. And then finally, my 
my last favorite trade would be Schroeder in a second or two for Dante DiVincenzo. He, he's up after after this year. They're deep in the luxury tax. They m- probably don't want to pay him. He's probably got more trade value right now where you can trade him, get him into your team, and have his restricted rights and not do a sign-in trade where you're hard-capped. So maybe they're looking to move Dante. Another low risk. He's a good player. He's 24, I think. Can shoot the three, can defend. I think it'd be immediately, you know, at least similar to Richardson in our rotation. So those are the three trades. We probably should have talked about each one after them, but gentlemen, what do you think? <laughs> I like the one where we end up with Nuora, who, because I remember him from, I think, the first <clears throat> game we played against the Bucks at the beginning of the season, and he was in the starting lineup, I think, at that point, and he played pretty well. And I hadn't heard of him at that point and did some Googling around him and his, his college career after that game, all of that information I've since forgotten. But I just remember his his impact on the court and the fact that he's six eight, can shoot the three. Like he's a modern NBA player, right? And he's I guess you could say a position of need that we need, like shooting stretch fours, you know, names that come up regularly, Harrison Barnes, Kyle Anderson. Obviously not that caliber, but he's at least that fits that archetype. So I think that could be helpful and the highest upside. Joe, Jay, what do you guys think? Uh I'm I'm real reluctant. I don't wanna bring in a veteran point guard because I know Adoka's going to play him ahead of Pritchard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I like George. I like George Hill. Like I'd be real happy to have him on, on my team. So like ordinarily I'd like that trade, I think. Um, but I think I'd go for the DiVincenzo. If they were all offered, I'd a hundred percent go for the DiVincenzo thing because he's a combo guard. Um, and I think that's going to just smooth out the rotation a little bit. But then, you know, George Hill, well, hey, how much George Hill have I really watched this year? But, you know, when we were playing against him, man, he killed us. <laughs> and he's he's huge arms, six foot three, good defender. Um, I wouldn't be unhappy. Look, man, I'm going to be happy with any Schroeder trade. But um, but I think if I had to choose one, I'd choose the DiVincenzo one. Now, Jay, I know I, you've said ham sandwich in the past, so do you prefer I'll, t- like, I'll take a ham <laughs> Yeah, mustard. Um, <laughs> don't yeah, don't put mayonnaise on my sandwich. Um, but I'm I'm concerned with how many people are comfortable giving the Bucks another point guard after the last time they got our backup point guard right before the playoffs. They went ahead and then won a championship. Like I just I don't know why we're not taking that more seriously. We can resign a sleeper agent. <laughs> all right, look, I think those are all uh, um, impressively realistic trade scenarios there, um, Spoon. Can I make a quick, is... quick, quick, quick interjection there? Yeah, sure. So I think what Jay's getting at, right, is like, hey, do we really want to be helping out a contender? Right, that's what you're. Yes. That's what you're saying, and I think like we just have to swallow that. That's what's going to happen because. You know, if you're, uh, I mean, unless you're trying to get above a salary floor or something like that, like what use do you have for a Dennis Schroeder? So that means that, hey, maybe you'd prefer to trade him to a West Coast team. Sure, fine, whatever. But you're still going to be, it's going to be some team who thinks he's useful to them in a a playoff push. That's the only way we're really even going to be able to move him. And I really want to move him. So I'm happy to, you know, inflict him on another team, to be honest. Little, little, little sabotage. Little agent of chaos, send him over there. <laughs> but how much are we even really helping another team based on what we know now about Schroeder? He's not a net positive player, so 
I don't know. Like, I, I get the point, absolutely. And uh, as a long Neither was Teague. I'm just saying. Fan, look how that played out. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I don't make the rules of the universe. I just observe them, uh, you know, record them down <laughs> in my scientific ways and then upload my opinions onto YouTube, but assuming that it's tangible science. Teague was so bad. Oh, my gosh. He was so bad. He was so bad for us. So bad. <laughs> I will say I'm less low on Schroeder than you guys. I do think if he, if you could convince him, like the best thing you can do is just score for 16 minutes a game and you don't have to play 26 minutes or whatever. And he'd be happy doing that. I think his ironically, the less he plays and the more he just embraces that sort of smaller role, the more valuable he becomes. And on our team, I don't think he's going to... He probably thinks he's, like, the third best player on the Celtics, right? Yeah. You know he's, like, deep down, I'm better than Marcus Smart, no, you know? everyone was talking yeah. about him as the third best player, like, the first couple of months. You, you might have been one of the people... I'm not... No. Listen, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> I, I I think Schroeder's a nice bench guard, and, you know, maybe Giannis can say, we're winning a championship here. You need to get in line. Here's what you're doing. So I, I think he could be somewhat yeah. useful. I don't think he's swinging the championship, though. He's not that good. <laughs> for for us, like, it felt like at the start of the season that he provided, like, there's a sort of Faustian bargain that we had to make. Look, he provides some skills we really, really need. You know, we did need dribble penetration, and he did provide that. And what he took Well, off when Jalen was out, to your point, like, we needed the scoring in a big way yeah. with Jalen out. But, oh, my gosh. He just drives me up the wall, eh? <laughs> yeah, hard to watch. Time to go on on the plane. Real quick, we're going to end on this post from Miguel Wayne. It's, he's just posted the Chris Forsberg, friend of the show, article. The Celtics have found their third star in Robert Williams. And definitely go ahead and, and read that article if you haven't already. But the gist is that it's based off a post-game quote from Jason Tatum, who said that Rob could be an all-star or potentially defensive player of the year. Opponents are shooting 42% when defended by Williams this season or 4.5% below their expected field goal percentage. And I believe that's third to Rudy Gobert, who's first in that category. And Rob also leads the league in blocks in the 4 to 14 feet from the basket range. And he's tied first in blocks from the 14 feet to the three-point line uh, range as well. So incredible stuff there from Rob. But the question is, Joe, we'll go to you first. Could... Rob Williams be Spoons an all-star. Yeah, the cat's just crawling across Spoons' screen as we speak. Uh, Rob Williams, super professional, dude. <laughs> hey, look, as long as Santa is like a, as long as Santa is like a defined category for an all-star game, uh, which it's not actually. It's three front court guys right now. I, I think he's actually got a better chance of making an All NBA team than an all-star game. Mm, sure. How about that? Whoa! Just because of the just because of that's the a super smart take. Um, but. Yeah, uh, I would view it as less likely that he would be an all-star, but, hey, man, certainly it can happen. If the team's successful, you know, someone's going to get rewarded from outside of our established stars, so that could be him. Just a quick one on, on Rob. Rob, just a little wee note, mate. I want to see you make a bit better contact with your screens, Rob. It's very important. Dribble handoffs particularly, if he catches it on the perimeter, he's got to go sit, he's got to do a handoff or he's got to do a, um, one of those kind of catch-and-go things. And uh, he's got to make contact with the other guy because that's going to result in lobs. If he makes good contact with, say, Jason Tatum's guy, then 
the center's got to pop out and take Tatum, which means that he's he's going to have a free reign, to, a free lane to the hoop, you know. So just just Rob, if you do that, I believe you can be an all star. Rob, how about that? And Joe, because that's I think that's an awesome point because I've wondered and tell me if this uh, plays into what you're noticing a little bit. Is it? Are you just noticing like he's almost like too eager to start going straight to the basket, yeah, like he's maybe. looking for the lob, like because I felt like. That's what I felt like I've seen lately is him kind of over anticipating. Mm-hmm. He's like already thinking lob before he's making the contact that would always get him that look later, like earlier in the season. Right. Cause yeah. he's, you know, that's his brand, right. Is getting catching yeah. those lobs. So it makes sense. I would be, let me get one. You know, but, <laughs> let me get up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, he's got to, he's got to make bang contact on that screen. Cause that's what gives us the numbers advantage that, you know, and and here's the thing: you might be more right than than you even think because if he does do that and and he does get back to having like two or three of those dunks a game, which like he can just easily if he's making that contact and getting, uh, you know, good lanes going to the basket, like that's the thing that will get him noticed at his position. Like he does all the things that a player needs to do to get noticed by like mainstream media, mainstream fans. Like he's got the flashy dunks. He's got the highlight reel defensive plays. Um, you know, he's got that kind of energy and he can accumulate numbers at like such a rate that he's an attention getter. So yeah, uh, I, I think all he's got to do is even take a small step forward. It could be as small as even just what Joe's saying. And if you just put two more buckets a game, he's going to start getting noticed at a very, very big level. He could be like a, not like a pick and pop big, but the the short roll, I feel like he could also do that really well. Like I, He will get a free throw line jump. He's a he's, rich man's capella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's knocking <laughs> so, down free throws. Like it's re- that's, that's ready to happen for him. Yeah, yeah sorry, Spence. Mm-hmm. No, it's all good, guys. I, I was I've been thinking about like what is what is that? That's all right. Suppose just gonna write about it later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, What's, yeah. Like, yeah. A lot of backhanded jokes about you guys in the next piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's what is like the aspiration? Like, if we could say Rob Williams in his 99th percentile outcome, what does it look like? And I've always thought like, bam. Mm. But the more I think about it, why isn't it Draymond? Mm-hmm. He's got the passing. He's like the crazy thing about Draymond is he's so good de- defending the perimeter and defending the rim. Like Rob's already got that. He's not quite the instinctual defender that Draymond is, but you know, it's sort of like a 85, 90% of it. And then he's got the vision, he's got the passing chops. He just can't dribble right now, but that's probably that's, one of the easiest things you can add to your game. So I think maybe he sh- that's who he should be modeling his game after because Draymond doesn't really shoot anymore. I mean, he had like the couple seasons where he was shooting threes, but that's not really his game. He is like hit, he gets hit on the short roll and makes a play. Spoons, I'm triggered, and I'm going to say I don't think I want like not because I, I want to like advocate for someone not developing their skills and all that. And so like if Rob wants to learn how to dribble by all means, but, but that, I don't know if that's at the top of my list. Cause I feel like part of what makes him such a remarkable playmaker at his position is that his passing is instant. Like he, he doesn't search for passes. Like the ball touches his fingers and he's already sending it where it's got to go. So like, I really, I don't want him doing anything where the ball is actually in his hands any longer than it needs to be. I think that is what makes him unique um, and what makes him a little bit 
more of a maybe a, a modern unicorn than because now every big guy dribbles the damn ball. Like every big guy is bringing the ball up. Like now to not do that and to, and to specialize more in playmaking, like off the dribble or without a dribble, that's the unicorn now. Like I think as far as a playmaker, I don't I don't want him going in a different direction. I think it might take away. How about this? How about this for a comp? Like Atlanta era Al Horford. You know, he was a short roll, fifteen foot shooter. Yeah, he was uh, not from deep guy early on. Like that yeah, those first the first like four or five seasons, he wasn't doing anything from deep. Yeah, with uh more of a lob threat. Um, yep. and mid range. He was butter in the mid. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how um, much the front office valued that that mentorship relationship there between Horford and Time Lord and how much that would influence, you know, what's happening leading up to the trade deadline here because Al Horford's name has popped up as, you know, a potential trade candidate just because it's a meaty piece of salary that could be moved um, for us to get under the tax and for a contender like the Warriors to add a contributing piece. But, you know, Al Horford, you mentioned that that similarity between their two game styles. I think you're hitting on something there and it's clear the relationship that they have and you can see it on the court. You can even hear it tonight because, as you mentioned, it was so quiet there in Orlando. You could hear Al talking, coaching Rob after certain possessions. And um, I think that is a probably valuable part of his overall uh, um, improvements. But I think that Rob Williams is the furthest from hitting his ceiling of all the guys that we're excited about what their ceiling is. I think Rob Williams still has the most room for growth there and potentially the highest ceiling as far as distance from where he is now to where he's got to go. So, I mean, am I crazy for thinking all NBA is not out of the question for this dude based on what he's shown the potential to do? I mean, in his future, no. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, he's not like an All NBA player right, right in this immediate moment. But like, like, what in his immediate skill set, like, does he not have that wouldn't? Because like, he can impact the game as much, if not more, than a Gobert. Because you could play him at the end of a game. You can't play Gobert at the end of a game. Mm. Like, would you would you trade him for Gobert right now? Oh, yes. Yes, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I You're would. crazy. You would trade Rob Williams for Gobert? 100%. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Get the fuck out of here. What? <laughs> I, I, I think Rob could probably get to sort of that third-team all-NBA level, but center's kind of sneaky loaded. Yeah. Embiid, Cat, Jokic, all those guys are like 27 or younger. So, And Rob's 24. It's not like he's 22. I mean, that's going to be tough. Plus, Gobert will be around for a while, and then who knows you know, who else might chat Holmgren or something could be there. So I do think he could get up to that type of level, but, man, it's going to be really fucking hard to make an all-NBA team with those three guys. Yeah, that's well, fair. The, good, the good news is that we don't need Time Lord to be as good as Rudy Gobert or Jokic. We just need him to improve slightly oh, as things than that he's Rudy, already good okay. at. <laughs> well, that's a conversation for another day. There's a user comment here on the post by Des Chain. You guys wrote, are nuts. You're going to trade nuts? <laughs> Des Chain said, I would say defensive anchor with regards to I just Rob. got kicked he off the pod. I know that. He needs to work on his offensive game to be a star um, and to reach the heights of Rudy Gobert. Well, I, I guess we're going to have to have, like, a, a subscribers-only game does Rudy Gobert have? <laughs> what? Uh, a bit of, bit of back-to-the-basket. He's a great role man. Driven, like, he single-handedly carried a Utah Jazz defense for, like, to the To the second a round? Yeah. Hasn't he won Depoy for three of the last four years? Yeah. He's quite dominant. All right. 
Yeah, he's pretty good. He's, and also very good for Team France in the Olympics, uh, who I believe made it to so the So we're going to dog game. on Ben Simmons for not being playable at the end of playoff games when they're close, but we're not going to dog on on uh, on Gobert for the same thing. No, it's cool. That's fine. He's not from Philly, so like we, we like him, apparently. Look, I've been I've been known to propose the odd trade for Ben Simmons, so I'm I'm probably <laughs> the wrong audience there. Yeah, well, <laughs> Gobert shoots. Wait, Gobert shoots seventy percent from the line. He's not like some. He doesn't have to get subbed out. Yeah, yeah and, no, but yeah, he can't play. This... De- he gets switched all the time. I de- like he can't play oh, defense yeah. at the end of the games. If you're listening to the pod, this is a good time to jump into the comments thread and let us know how you feel about this particular part of the discussion, because I feel like this might elicit some, some comments from the users there. Go so Bear is garbage. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. We're, France as, as is going to declare war on the United States. <laughs> Let's end on this. Seeding the Celtics now tied at number six with the Nets, unbelievably, given what we've been through this season. Uh, and we play the Nets, the Nets next, rather, uh, in what will be a bit of a, a tiebreaker, I suppose. That's in Brooklyn. So no Kyrie, no Kevin Durant, likely no James Harden as well, because allegedly he's being shopped around uh, with the Sixers. We'll see what happens there. And the Nets have lost eight in a row. After that, we've got the Nuggets in Boston and the Hawks. In Boston as well. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you'll know that that Nuggets game is, for me, by far the most important game of the season. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week. In the meantime, go check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter. Just Google Celtics Reddit Podcast. You can't miss it. Joe, Spoons, Jay, love your work, guys. Thanks again. Thanks again.